All right. Well, howdy, howdy, green team. Nice <laughs> to be with you again today. And I'm so honored and feeling really blessed to be sitting here chatting with Benu Amunra. And we're going to be talking about food justice in Colorado. Um, before we get into that, I want to let you know of a couple things that we have coming up. The Earth Week Summit, April 17th to 24th. It's free. It's virtual. And we have so many cool things we're doing promoting partners. So if you have an event in April, then you can put it into our, um, our Earth Week Summit. So if it's uh, virtual or if it's accessible in Colorado, so that's pretty neat. We're kind of like crowd funding, crowd doing <laughs> our, <laughs> our summit this year. Uh, and we also have some other cool things we're doing. Uh, we're working with our tree planting partner in Kenya uh, to to do this tree kinship uh, project with him. So they work with widows and youth and bring tree seedlings that they've grown and show them how to to plant them and they plant them together and show them how to care for the trees and the benefits they can bring. So it's a pretty cool way to, I see it as a climate uh, justice thing that we can do in kind of making some climate reparations really for those of us countries that have caused so much of the emissions and there's other countries that are feeling the the brunt of it so this is a way that we can work together with our brothers and sisters in Kenya and help them plant some trees and have some fun so anyhow that's all coming up with the Earth Week Summit we'll be announcing that shortly um, but with that let's get into talking with Benu um, so Howdy, howdy, and good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show today, Joan. And I have to say, um, I really appreciate that you mentioned the tree planting campaign in Kenya. We need it so much here in Colorado due to the wildfires from last year. And so a lot of the, um, you know, farmers are bracing themselves for a drought this season. Mm. <laughs> and so we do need our trees. Oh, man. So important, right? Yeah, right. So the more we can figure out how to get yes. our tree tree people um, happy. Yeah, plant more trees, people. Yes, please. <laughs> exactly. Plant more trees. We need them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we're going to be talking about this idea of looking at the food system in Colorado and how what what the issues are with it and and how there's different folks out there that are working to bridge the gaps. Um, but Banu, before we get into that, why why food justice? Why is this your passion area? Because as we've been talking, you were like, oh yeah, and this and that, and you've got it's your- so much. I it's, know, it's, it's a little really bit overwhelming. Cool. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, but everything is connected. And so we'll talk yes. about that, but how did you get focused on food justice? Well, um, when we talk about food justice, we talk about the, the food justice movement. And in that movement, we talk about the land, you know, who owns the land and who grows on the land and um, everything in regards to um, our relationship to land. And so food justice in a way, it, um, if you can feed yourself, you free yourself, literally. Um, if you have the ability to be able to um, grow your own food for sustenance, right? Um, it's like the old biblical phrase of, you know, teach a man to fish, 
you know, he can feed himself for a lifetime. And it's the same way in regards to our relationship, the reciprocal relationship that we have with land. And I kind of feel like we've lost that um, in this society that we are used to, in a capitalist society anyway. Um, we are used to exploiting people um, in regards to labor to work the land and they have no way to be able to sustain themselves. Um, they're completely exploited. And um, in saying this, um, food justice came about in regards to uh, labor workers. You know, um, it started in regards to having fair wages, housing, access to health, um, being able to uh, support um, labor workers' rights, you know, and, but not only that, um, it's also to strengthen the connection that we have to land. And um, again, uh, we're going back to those same practices uh, with the new trending label of regenerative agriculture, um, although that's been around for thousands of years and it's just another rebranding uh, <laughs> of indigenous agricultural practices. So um, food justice is really about um, finding our way back to connecting to the land and making sure it's equitable for everyone who works the land and who receives sustenance from the land. And I started out, um, actually, um, I'm in graduate school right now at Naropa University. And I was there to pursue um, a program in resilient leadership uh, to create a nonprofit farm and healing center specifically for um, black indigenous people of color living with disabilities. Um, I've been a caregiver for over 20, about 27 years, and I took care of people living with disabilities or with serious illnesses. And one of the um, activities that really had been a breakthrough for me was seeing them um, loving how to grow anything, whether it's flowers or food, you know, fruits and vegetables, you know, but garden what they call garden therapy, you know, is just a wonderful way for people living with disabilities or serious illnesses to be able to heal themselves. I've, I've seen it actually, um, it's very meditative. Um, it has um, given them a sense of belonging. You know, um, people with disabilities are usually shunned or, you know, kind of pushed out of the way. And um, I tend to find that they're the invisible community. And um, in this way, when they're connecting with the earth, um, it gives them a sense of um, belonging and um, solidifies their humanity. So, Wow. That, I think what you just described would be the definition of inclusive. <laughs> yes. To just um, make sure that the, the invisible have a, a kind of this healing, healing place and and building off that one-to-one -one relationship um, yeah. with the land. Um, yeah, well, cool. All right, so there's so many, I have so many questions, but um, yeah. so yeah, let's just, I mean, I love this because it can go in so many different directions and you are going in so many different directions. So, so basically you were just saying that your, you know, your personal experience going through all this led you and your, your work in this resilient leadership area led you to this idea of let's just bring it all together and bring it to the people. So 
Um, now that you've been making connections with so many folks in Colorado, can you share um, what some of the the main um, prongs of this this uh, this movement of food justice are right now in Colorado? How people can get involved, and what you see as um, some of those areas where people can really make a difference. Well, there's one, um, and I'm going to start off um, because there's so much to unload. <laughs> but um, right now, currently, we are trying to support uh, the essential workforce. Um, a lot of people have heard in the news. In fact, I just watched um, this week with John Oliver. He just did a segment in regards to the meat packing um, processing plants and how many workers are dying. Here in Colorado, we've already had have had 22 people die from processing um, food. Um, and uh, let's see, JBS and Tyson, which are the meat processing plants here in Colorado, the major ones anyway, um, they, they have been losing their employees. And one of the um, projects is called Project Protect Food Systems. And um, it is essentially um, focusing on protecting the labor farm workers in the field, in the processing plants. Um, it, there is a bill that is being presented, um, Senate Bill 21-087, that's been sponsored by Senator Jesse Danielson. Uh, uh, I think it's House Representatives Karen McCormick and Yadira um, Car Carbio. And that what they're doing is they want to provide um, basic health and safety protections during the pandemic extend the right to organize for the farm workers and ensure that the service providers like um, doctors have access to the farm workers, um, ensuring fair pay, um, at least the minimum wage and uh, mandating rest breaks and providing um, protection against retaliation from the farm workers because um, they have um, you know, this fear of retaliation, which is a lot of reasons why they will now report or organize together to protect themselves. So we're, um, we're really excited about that bill. Um, that only took six months to put together and that will be presented this um, session um, in the General Assembly. So we're really proud of that. And that was actually organized by Fatima Imad and Michelle Auerbach and um, a lot of the um, people who worked, who came together to work um, on, on those issues. Um, let's see what else is there <laughs> that's going on. Um, we have Roberto Mesa from Emerald Gardens who is creating a um, Eats Denver Food Hub to help with distribution. One of the things that we've experienced during the pandemic last year was the food supply chain collapsing. And what we had seen all over the nation actually is where you have these farmers and ranchers who um, are were sitting on food or livestock and they had to get rid of it because the distribution chain um, wasn't sustainable. Um, they're used to having um, the vendors come and pick up their livestock and their produce that um, you know they sell out. But what, what, what was going on was that the vendors were shut down. So no one was coming to pick up the food and they were just sitting on tons of, of food and just wasting it. And then with um, the livestock, they were killing the animals because it was more cost effective for them to um, kill the animal than to actually keep them on and spend more money to feed and house them. So we have this conundrum. And um, one of the things that the pandemic did was create these niches 
in the market and also uh, exposed all these gaps in the food system that we really need to fix. Um, we've always known that the food system was not efficient and now we are dealing with the repercussions of that. So we're finding you know, ways to uh, fix it. And you know, coming you, I, I think you were saying, I mean, you, I think you said it very bluntly, basically the food system is broken. Yes. And, and so the, I guess it's like everything with COVID that hopefully there is a silver lining, um, that it is really magnifying some of those pre-existing issues, um, that were already happening. And so, so what, so this, this whole idea of our, our food, uh, distribution system being so complex and so, you know, they, what is it like the average Caesar salad travels 1500 miles or something? Um, when, yeah, maybe you could have just grown that like in your, in your garden or your neighborhood. Um, but it brings attention to that, right? It brings attention to how, how important it is for us to tap into our local markets. It, it, it saves us gas. <laughs> it saves us money, yeah. it saves us time when, when we buy local, when we grow local, you know. And one of the things that I'm dealing with right now in regards to distribution is um, at my school at Naropa University, we're actually getting ready for an event. Um, March 20th, we are um, holding on an event called Hunger Free Students. What we have been discovering is that during the pandemic, um, a lot of the college students were either cut off or some of the vending um, companies that used to service the vending machines for their snacks and things like that went out of business. And so the vending machines have been sitting empty and they have no other resource. A lot of them had um, realized that, well, I had realized that um, they had no access to like viable food. A lot of them um, were not able to work. Um, they're were able to, you know, they couldn't be able to continue working in the buildings. So um, they weren't able to use their work study. A lot of them lost their part-time jobs at restaurants, you know. And so a lot of times when they budget, you know, their um, finances for school, uh, it does not include food. <laughs> and so we found out that uh, we had a student pantry, it was a closet. Um, it was based on donations. A lot of the food was canned and donated, so it was expired. And um, I was finding out um, all over, it was just my university, but um, the um, whole entire nation, all of the colleges were experiencing these students starving to death. And I was just like, oh my God, um, they're eligible for SNAP. So we're going to um, register students um, at this event for them to register with SNAP so that they can be able to get that food. And then we're going so SNAP, to- SNAP is the local oh, food oh, benefits, yeah. our Colorado food benefits. Yes, so SNAP is Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And you get that through your county and you can sign up for that. Um, students are eligible. A lot of them felt like they weren't eligible to apply, but they are, they are eligible. And so um, we're gonna get them signed up. We're working with some organizations like Roberto Mesa at Emerald Gardens with, for the distribution from the Denver Food Hub. So we're working with him. And we're also working with the, the Boulder Farmers uh, Market to let the students know when they can be able to use their money. Uh, some of the vendors do take SNAP. Um, there is a program called Double Your Bucks in which you can um, be matched um, 
with twice as much vegetables and fruits and vegetables. I think it's up to $20. It, it, it depends on which county you're in and which um, vendors would take um, a certain amount, but you can get twice as many uh, fruits and vegetables. So that increases your nutrition intake and that's really important. And so what we're doing is we're educating and bringing awareness to the students about these programs, about these organizations um, like Community Food Share, there's the Boulder Food Rescue. Uh, oh my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> so so many. Yeah, but I, I love this too, because I think this is also what we're seeing is that resilience is, um, you know, that we are a resource library for each other. You know, so like that Boulder Food Rescue has rescued food or the, you know, a food hub has the distribution figured out. Um, and, and it's, like you said, it's kind of shocking to think of college students, you know, a kid goes through all of, call, of high school, is trying to get to college, and then ends up in college being hungry. Yes. But, but again, that, that maybe that also does you know, bring that awareness that maybe if they hadn't experienced that in a in another time to to see, oh wow, this is this is something wrong with our system and an area oh, yeah. where they can maybe make a difference. Um, will you will you talk okay. more about the food hub? How does that work? What what is actually what is a food hub and how so, what's that working like? So Roberta Mesa is working with um an, another organization. Um oh, wow. Mile High Farmers, he's part of the Mile High Farmers. He's also um, a member on the board of the National Young Farmers Coalition. And he's also working with the uh, Regenerative Recovery um, Coalition um, at the Alliance Center. And what we're trying to do is we're um, creating a hub where um, the producers can come um, drop off their food. And what, what we can do is create um, the CFAP boxes. So CFAP is, um, coronavirus um, food assistance program. <laughs> and uh, what they do is that they help fund um, producers um, to bring their produce and they create these boxes for um, communities and residents. And so what he's doing is, is he's working with several of the producers and um, creating a distribution hub to start taking this food out into the community. And um, one um, of the couples that he's working with, uh, Nick and Shannon, um, oh my gosh, I forgot their last name. <laughs> but Nick and Shannon from Nugarada. Yes, yes, yes. Um, he's working with them. And we're actually starting a, a project where we're biomimicry, using biomimicry by um, creating a mycelial map uh, for distribution in here in Colorado. And I, that's going to be really fun. I'm really excited about that. Um, we're using um, either, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, mycelium or um, some kind of spore that um, um, we're using to map out uh, the distribution centers or um, what do you call it, um, spots. Um, just kind of like what the Tokyo or Japan did. Japan used um, a, um, a mold um, to map out their Ooh. rail system. Okay, and I know what you're talking about, right? Yeah, right. Right, right, the 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 structure that the mold grows to cover a certain yes. area, they use that for their planning of their yes. you know, the transportation system. I get what you're saying. So yeah, I love Mother Nature. Oh my gosh. It's so amazing. Yes. Right, so, so they, 
yeah they they put like little dots on there to mm -hmm. show the density of of the different populations and where things yes. were coming from and it created this design of uh, a transportation system i see so you're, exactly. you're using that kind of biomimicry approach to figure out how should we design a system that that gets food from where it's being produced to where people need it um, efficiently. That's, yeah, that's Mother Nature. She, oh, she knows right. the best route when it comes to, um, you know, transporting nutrients and resources. She knows the best way. And so why not learn from her by, you know, modeling the system? Yeah, that's <laughs> so cool. I love that. Um, yeah, we're really excited. Yeah. <laughs> And so then a couple other things um, that you were had mentioned before. Another is this idea of, of training people that want to be farmers. And especially as you as you opened up with talking about who has access to the land, who is producing on the land, and the kind of the historical issues around slavery and people that were working the land benefiting yes. the colonial um system so how what are some of the efforts that are out there now especially for the bipoc community to become farmers or to to have ways to either access food or grow their own food yes so when we talk about the food justice movement we have to include food sovereignty access to growing food on your own and being self-sustainable so again i had I mentioned earlier with fatima imad with frontline farming um, uh, I am um, collaborating with um, her and Damien Thompson and uh, Jason um, August. Uh, we are creating a BIPOC beginner farmers workshop where we are tapping into the marginalized communities that have literally been, um, what's the word, left out during the pandemic. It's been really hard. Um, they have been hit the hardest you know, especially the Black and the Indigenous populations. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to dispel this stigma of um, generational trauma and pain that has been associated with working the land due to slave labor or free labor. And um, what we're um, trying to do is literally heal our BIPOC communities to make them understand and change the mentality of their of connecting to the land like working the land does not mean that you have to be exploited or that you have to break your back you know and make profit for somebody else and not use that land to be able to sustain yourself or your family and your community so what we're doing is we're creating a workshop where we can bring those members from our BIPOC community and reteach them how to reconnect to the land and um, wipe out the programming that has been instilled in them from you know decade, decades of learning either from you know um, the, the educational system that has continued to oppress you know these historical facts um, or just our history period of uh, of what has been done to our you know our uh, ancestors, um, our families, you know, um, but not only that, um, Colorado has a, a, a lot of history in regards to agriculture. And so we need to really dispel that. But not only that, we need to rebuild and um, 
create those relationships that are really important for us to be sustainable here in Colorado, in the state of Colorado. And, and, and the way for us to do that is by um, teaching our BIPOC uh, members. And I, I love that. So. Yeah. I heard a, an interview. I haven't met Fatima directly, but I heard an interview with her on, I think, Colorado Public Radio. And I just like was enchanted um, with <laughs> everything that she is doing when frontline farming um, yeah. and such such a, a cool resource. Another resource I ran across uh, recently is at um, Chatfield Farms uh, with Denver Botanic Gardens has a veterans to farmers program um, oh, nice. as well. And so I, I think that the more, with what we're hoping to do with this discussion that we're having today, for those of you listening, whether you're here in Colorado or somewhere else, to realize that you're not alone if you see, wow, for example, okay, veterans are coming out of this system that we put them through and then, you know, they, what the Chatfield program specifically is saying is that vets have a lot of skills, a lot of assets in certain areas, and um, and then they also have a lot of um, things that they may be struggling with of just like fitting back in after having gone through this really out of culture, out of body experience. And, yes, PTSD. Yeah, um, and right. Okay, so yes, yeah, and um, even even more I think than PTSD of of just. I don't know. There's, there's a lot going on there. No, no, you're, you're, you're tapping right into yeah. that. That, that. That's perfect because, um, again, when I was telling you, when it comes to um, the invisible community, like people with disabilities, you know, um, a, a lot of those um, people um, are veterans. And um, this, um, mm -hmm. when they're dealing with PTSD, connecting with the earth, growing something yeah. actually helps heal them. It calms them down. Um, you know, it's it's just there's something about connecting to the land, watching something grow, using love and care and kindness. It, it it teaches so many values of what it means to take care of something, to love something, and then to be able to reap and, and harvest that. You know, and it provides sustenance in more than just you know a physical manner, but in in a spiritual and a mental uh, way. It really does heal the human body, you know. Um, so Ron Finley, who um, <laughs> everyone um, loves, yeah, everyone knows Ron Finley. Yeah. And one thing that um, I always try to promote, uh, and one thing that he does also is that we are nature. We are all connected. Yeah. You know, um, we live on this planet because we are are a part of this planet. You know, the the same things that um, make up our body. You know, carbon. Um, we, we take in oxygen, uh, all of those things you find present in nature. Right. And that's why when he says, when we die, we become compost and we become something that can be able to nourish, you know, seeds and bring that forth. And so it, it's, it's completing that closed loop cycle. We yeah. are nature, you know, and so for us to deny ourselves to connect to that land, it's like killing a part of ourselves. And so that's why it's so important for us to, you know, reestablish that reciprocal relationship with soil, you know, exactly. and it's, it's really, really important. And, and that's why um, I really love the work of um, Leah Penniman with Soil, Soul Fire Farm. She's doing amazing work. She's, she's growing so fast. I don't even know if she can be able to keep up 
with all the things that she's doing, you know. Um, right. uh, she had just became a, a member of the La Via Campesina um, organization, um, expanding out to include other countries. You know, and that's something that I would really love to um, hopefully do with our program is expanding and connecting with our brothers and sisters out like in Africa and Kenya, Ghana, you know, uh, Nigeria, all of that. You know, it, it, we are really, truly all connected and yeah. we just need to be like mushrooms. Really, do. we need to be like mycelium and spread and be connected and help each other, nourish each other. You know, not just physically, but spiritually and just connect. I think that's just been so important, especially during this pandemic. It's real, really making us realize how important it is for us to connect. So, yes, exactly. And I think, you know, what you're showing, what you're talking about and what we're finding, too, is that as we're working, we're having the opportunities to work with uh, friends in Colombia or Bangladesh or um, Zambia that they're they in a lot of cases have like one of our teams that uh, for the international climate action challenge that was working in bangladesh and in the us they were saying that their project was growing all their food from kitchen scraps so yes. if, they, if they brought in you know um tomato then they they plant the tomato seeds and then they grow you know cherry tomatoes but they were saying in bangladesh there are so many more seeds in their food so many more viable seeds than than they were finding is it was actually harder and so you know understanding that people in other countries have um a lot of wisdom and there and a lot of insights that could and have been inspiring our teams um so it's been super cool and i guess the other thing i was starting to say earlier was that what you're showing is that if you feel like there is here's an area that we should address you're probably not alone so yes. like let's find a way for more disabled people to enjoy uh that horticulture therapy and that freedom and that sense of control and um kinship with nature that you don't have to go it alone and there's other people that are that's their passion too uh, so no matter like what little part of this niche, if you're thinking, wow, we should, shouldn't we be training um, more black women farmers, like that's happening and, and you can be part of it and you can take this model and you can make it happen uh, in your community Absolutely. or you can connect with folks that are, that are doing it. And that's the other cool thing I think is that nature doesn't require a lot you know, you got seeds, you've got some soil and you know that that you don't have to go get whatever, you know, a certain certificate or training or have these different resources. So we that's part of the decolonization is getting people like, oh, no, it's right there. It's waiting for you that Mother Nature's at your fingertips. Um, yes, she is the greatest teacher. She really is. And um, I think we just need to reestablish um, diversity. Seriously, I mean, um, if, if one thing Mother Nature has um, taught us is um, the more diverse, the more resilient you, be, you mm -hmm. become. So when when I speak with these um, these farmers, you know, when they talk about diversity, they, they talk about crops, but, <laughs> but you, but you <laughs> also need diversity of people too, you know what I mean? I mean, um, we need more diversity in, um, 
in, in our farming communities. I mean, it's still astonishing to me to think that 98% of land owned are, is all owned by white um, wow. landowners. And so we really need to um, tip the scale towards more balance, more equity, you know? And so um, starting with um, teaching our BIPOC um, community members how to farm and how to just grow food um, that's the first step. It's, it's going to be a, a minute before we, we get to that tipping right. of scales, but, but it's, a, it's a first step. It's a first step towards healing. I really, yeah. truly believe that. And I believe that our Black and Indigenous community um, leaders are the, are the key to helping connect those bridges and building those important relationships. So yes, we really yeah. need a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah, I think the other area we didn't mention too much, but I was listening to a podcast um, with Ayana Young uh, for The Wild, which is a really cool podcast. I don't know if you've checked it out, but um, she was talking about one of the trust organizations. So I, I think the same thing that there are ways that that young farmers or that, you know, people that want to get into farming that don't have any resources. Mm -hmm. um, I think you were mentioning um, Roberto with emerald greens like that. there are people that have some land that are looking at ways to partner with folks to get yes. access so yeah so, so don't give up like don't yes. think well i don't have any land i don't have any training i don't know what to do i don't know anybody none of those are really great excuses because <laughs> you can just reach out to Benu and say, hey, Benu, this is what I'm thinking. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, please do. In fact, um, if anybody want any resources or information, you guys are more than welcome to email me. I will um, leave my email with Joan. And um, please um, don't hesitate to reach out. We, we need more people in this movement. It is happening. Uh, <laughs> It's insane, but uh, yeah, we all need food to live. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really important that we focus on, you know, um, agriculture. It, it takes up a lot of the land use around the world, but we need to be in right relationship with the land and right. not think of it as just as, as only for profit. It sustains us like the rest of the planet. <laughs> and so we need to be those stewards to make sure that we take care of the land that it um, is literally um, biodiverse for, for us to be able to continue to exist on this planet. So yeah, we need to reestablish that relationship again. And it's really exactly. important that we do it together. We need yeah. to do it together. So um, There's one person I forgot to mention and one kind of idea also that if that we didn't touch on that we had on our list. Um, and that is that if you're living in an area that you find to be a food desert or a food swamp, which happens in Denver all the time where I am, I'm right next to a Trader Joe's, there's a, a Sprouts, a Whole Foods, King Super Safeway, all wow. surrounding me within a few miles. But if I go north, uh, maybe five miles, none of that is there. And yes. so so Beverly Grant with um, Mo Better oh. Green Marketplace, our hero. Um, you picked a good one. <laughs> yeah, she, she started two different farmers markets as well as her as her own farm. And this is an African American woman that just watched the movie Food Inc. and was like, "Oh my gosh, that is so true!" And she just did it. And oh my gosh, she's amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
I actually met um, Beverly at um, a business planning course at Mikasa Resource Center. Oh, cool. This is when she first started creating more, more better mm. greens. Yes, this mm -hmm. is insane. This woman is amazing too. Oh my God. And so um, she also works with the Mental Health Center of Denver yeah. and works with the aquaponics farm at the at their Dahlia campus. So yes, amazing woman. She teaches youth how, how to grow their own food. She's created programs and like uh, developed so many oh, just wonderful things. Yes, she's she's one of our local heroes. I love you, Beverly yeah. Grant. You know, um, but these these women, these you know, African American women, these indigenous women, they, they are they are like so gung ho. They are hustling. They really are. They really are um, the warriors, the champions for growing your food. It's just like food is medicine. And it, that it really reminds me, yeah, we can just keep going, but like <laughs> yes, I know. Shannon, Shannon Francis with Spirit yes. of the Sun, Spirit of the like, Sun, you know, Nancy traditional and yes. permaculture, herbal gardens, wellness. There's so many. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just like, you know, there's Karen Washington, uh, who's out uh, on the East Coast, uh, Leah Penniman. Oh my God, there's just, just so many uh, women that are really um, the front lines, like Fatima Imad, yeah. you know. Um, but women, um, and I'm not trying to discredit any of the men, but, um, <laughs> but the um, agriculture has been dominated by men for decades, if not, if not centuries. And I really feel like I am um, seeing this wave of feminine energy, this Gaia energy that is just like having these women lead the way to show how we should be in correct relationship with the soil. It's that nurture, that nurturing yeah. that comes through, you know, nature and nurture, you know? And so I just really feel um, so blessed to be in this time, in this moment with all of these women that are just real, really um, the front line of agricultural and food justice movement, man. It's just amazing. It's amazing. And and I think Banu is is one of them. So um, <laughs> all right. So thank you so much, Banu, for for being with us today and for being such an amazing connector and um, visionary to to you know, I think that's what, what we can all learn from your example is that if you think, wait, couldn't we be doing this better? There's probably somebody has that idea. Get with them and and be connecting everybody. Uh, yes, we are out here. Come find us. We are out here. We are fighting every day. Yes. Yeah, and so we put a bunch of those links in the in the show notes. I'll also Thank include you. Anu's um, email address so that you can reach out to her directly. And then stay tuned. Get ready for Earth Week Summit. April 17th to 24th, who knows, maybe we'll be doing something with Naropa. I know, uh, let's see, Shannon and, and Nick said they have a soil health um, training that they're doing. So we'll try and get as many of those wrapped in so that you can go one place and, and connect with all these amazing things. And, and please join us. Yes, please join us March 20th with Hunger Free Colorado for the Hunger Free Students event that we're gonna be holding at Naropa University. Um, if you if you are a student um, and going to college and you need access to food, come join us. We'll show you how to tap into some resources, local resources to help you. Nice. Very Thank good. You. All right. Thanks so much, Benu. Thanks, everybody, for, for tuning in. And remember, the time for action is now because there is no planet B. See you soon.